0: God, we do worship you and praise you, and we agree that you will always be more than enough for us, and we forget that. We lose sight of it, particularly right now in just what feels like a never-ending season of uncertainty. It's good to sing, and as we lift our voices, your spirit reminds our hearts that you will always be more than enough, and your word is what we need more than anything, and so speak to us now through it. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, today we conclude our series called Rhythm of Rest, looking at the Sabbath, uh, what, is, what is the Sabbath, not just the Old Testament law, but what is the meaning of the Sabbath rest for God's people, for followers of Jesus today? Uh, if you've been with us, you know that we've looked at the Old Testament law uh, of the Sabbath, the te- part of the Ten Commandments. One of the big ten is remember the Sabbath day. The only one that's phrased remember because we forget. And then we saw the very first week of the series how Sabbath is woven into the very fabric of creation. When God created the world on the seventh day, he rested, not because he's tired, but to, and not just to demonstrate for us how to live, but because he's, sat, he's satisfied in enjoying his creation and he invites us to do the same. And I don't know about you, but in the course of this series, one of the things that God has shown me is just how restless I really am. It's revealed to me that I'm, I'm not very good at Sabbath rest. I mean, sometimes I'm disciplined enough to stop doing things. I'll set my phone aside, or, but I, I can't turn off the noise in my mind very well. I have a hard time settling in and really resting in the goodness of God. Maybe that's you as well. It's been good for me to be convicted of that. There are things I need to do and things I need to stop doing and to enjoy the presence of God. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, has a chapter called, Is Christianity Hard or Easy? It's a good question, isn't it? Is Christianity hard or easy? He says, well, from one perspective, if you're thinking about earning God's favor, measuring up, being good enough, keeping the rules, making it to heaven, it's extremely hard. Exhausting, frankly impossible. But from the other perspective, if you understand the message of the gospel, the meaning of grace, it's the easiest thing in the world to step in. Why don't we? Here's what he writes. Uh, That is why the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on all day long, standing back from all of our fussings and frettings, coming in out of the wind. I love that phrase. Part of what it means for God's people to Sabbath rest is to come in out of the wind and to learn to listen to that other voice that speaks the words of grace to us. And that's what our series, Rhythm of Rest, has really been about, learning to rest in his presence. And we're going to wrap up the series by looking at a passage from the New Testament book of Hebrews. Um, And and to understand um, this passage, we need to understand a little bit about how Hebrews works. Hebrews is written, we don't actually know for certain who the author was, writing to Jewish uh, believers in Jesus. They grew up with and still practice many of the Jewish customs and traditions steeped in the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish law, the Hebrew law but they had come to believe that Jesus was truly the Messiah and placed their faith in him. And so one of the things Hebrews does that's unique in the New Testament is it specifically traces themes from the Old Testament Scriptures throughout the story of the Bible, themes like sacrifice and temple and the priesthood, and in this passage, Sabbath. Let's read uh, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Well, that seems perfectly clear and hardly needs any explanation, right? I mean, isn't that just like, you know, there's, I mean, I don't this what, what could I possibly say that can make that any clearer? It is a, a little bit of a confusing passage, isn't it? Maybe not a little bit, it's, it's very confusing. The author uses the word rest eight times in 11 verses. And one of the challenges is it's not always used the same way. In fact, I would suggest there's four different ways that the author uses the term rest, meaning Sabbath, in that passage. And we have to understand those if we're going to understand how it applies to us. Uh, Again, one of the keys is the author of Hebrews is tracing out the theme of Sabbath through the story of the Bible. Um, So let's look at those. Uh, To do that, I'm going to have to do a little drawing because it's fun to play with the magic board. And also, I hope this will be helpful in remembering. So the first way that the author describes Sabbath. Rest is what I would call rest in creation. We'll just draw the circles here. So rest in creation. This is, we talked about this in in the very first sermon of the series, that on the seventh day God rested, that he wove rest into the the fabric of how God created the universe. If we go back and look at verse 4 for just a minute, there's a direct reference to rest in creation, Hebrews 4.4. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work, all his works. And again, why did God rest? If you were here last week, you remember the analogy of the building of the canoe, right? When you build a canoe and it's done and it's completed, not that I've ever done that, but I watch videos of people who build canoes by hand. I don't know why I do that, but it's fun. And when the canoe is perfectly built and done and there's no more to add to it, what do you do with it? Throw it away, hang it on the wall, tie it to a dock. No, you go for a paddle. You take it out. In a sense, when God rests on the seventh day, it's not because he's tired. It's not because he's you know, moving on to something else. It's to be satisfied in and to enjoy. And he invites us, in a sense, to step into the canoe and enjoy him in the creation that he made for his glory and for our good. So the first thing we see is rest in creation. God rested. Um, this passage goes on and talks about those who failed to enter God's rest. Uh, let's look at verses 5 and seven, through 7. Again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. God speaking about this. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So what's this talking about? This is what I would call not rest in creation, but rest in Canaan, the promised land. Circles are hard to draw, by the way. Um, rest in Canaan. So, the, the, this is the story here the, the, the passage we quoted through David in the passage uh, verses five through seven. He's quoting Psalm 95, and in 95, verse 11, David is referring to the story in Numbers chapter 14, when the whole generation, and almost an entire generation of God's children, the Israelites, because of their disobedience, their distrust, their unwillingness to believe that God had something better for them, they wanted to go back to the land of slavery in Egypt, and they died out in the wilderness. Nearly an entire generation did not enter the promised land, and in this case, The rest was associated with the place, uh, uh, the land. Canaan became a metaphor for God's rest because God was delivering them out of their slavery in Egypt, bringing them to a place where they were free and could rest in his provision and care. And so in the wilderness, a, a bunch of the people of Israel, the Israelites, the children of God, stopped believing his promises. It was hard in the wilderness. And they began to wonder, Maybe this was a bad idea. I mean, I know it wasn't good to be slaves in Egypt, but maybe, maybe we should go back. Maybe this is, a, this is a mistake. Maybe God doesn't have something better for us. The promised land becomes a symbol of rest, a place where God's people could finally settle in and dwell, and they missed it. Why? Because of their unbelief. Because they hardened their hearts. Sabbath, you see, is telling us a story about who we are. If we go back to the text for just a minute... And look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. This is the Ten Commandments, the retelling of the Ten Commandments. And this is the part of the Sabbath law. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Why is this significant? God is connecting the command to their story. You were slaves. Don't forget that. And the reason you rest is because of who you are now. I've set you free from slavery. Slaves don't get to say to their masters, hey, by the way, this is my day off. This is my Sabbath, so I'm not working. You don't get that option. In a way, Sabbath rest for the people that belong to God is a declaration of our freedom in Christ or in him. It's a way of saying, this is who I am now. I'm not a slave to my work. I'm not a slave to this culture's driving forces. I belong to someone else. And so to rest is to, like, tell your story to yourself in a way and be reminded of who you belong to. That was true for the Israelites. It's also true for us today as God's children. It's a declaration of freedom. And the comparison between Israel and the people in David's day and the people in our day is that they didn't enter into this rest. Why? Because they stopped trusting God. They stopped believing that he was good. They stopped believing that he was going to make good on his promises. That's very relevant today, isn't it? I talk to people in our own church family almost weekly who wrestle with this. Where is God in the midst of this? Job loss and pain and tragedy and sorrow and tension in the culture and political divide and racial issues. And where is God? Is he still present? Is he still on the throne? Is he still going to make good on his promises? Is it true what we're saying? Nothing's going to separate us from his love. Is he really more than enough for us? All we'll ever need? We're told that good news came to them, but they didn't believe it. What was their good news? That God is good, that he will deliver you. And the land, Canaan, became a symbol of God's rest. But it's not the ultimate resting place. There's another form of rest. And this is what we talked about last week in the sermon. And we'll call it rest in Christ. That's that's not a good circle. It bothers me. I know you don't care. Rest in Christ. Gospel rest. So the rest that God wove into, the cre- into creation and the rest that God promised in the land that he was going to give them, the, the promised land, Canaan, th- those are not permanent things. They're pointing to ultimate rest, salvation rest, rest from our need to be good enough. We talked about this last week. When Jesus on the cross, he said in his dying breath, what? It is finished, completed. The work God gave me to do of paying for the sins of the world is done. He's done it, and we can rest in that. Good news came. Let's go back and see the passage in Hebrews that speaks to this. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. So they heard the same message, gospel, good news. Why didn't it benefit them? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The good news of the gospel, of what God has done in Jesus Christ. How do you enter into that? By faith, by believing, by trusting. This was the focus, as we said, of the sermon last week. In fact, just to quote one passage from last week, Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus speaking, we looked at this in depth. He says, come to me all, right, who labor and are heavy laden. Every one of us carries a burden of some kind, a spiritual burden, a burden of anxiety, a burden of doubt, a burden of worry, a burden of our past sins, things we've done or done to us. We all carry a backpack of burdens. And Jesus says, all of you who are burdened and and feeling worn out, come to me and I will give you rest. He doesn't teach you how to rest. He doesn't give you the five steps to rest, the 10 principles of rest. He is rest. Notice that Hebrews repeatedly tells us that rest remains. Isn't that good? There's still a rest. Rest remains. It's still out there, meaning the story's still moving. And you can still enter in. And this brings us to the fourth way that the author uses rest. And I'm afraid that I did not leave enough room for, but here you can do this. Oh, I know. Isn't that cool? And I will call this rest in future promise. I I tried to think of a C for alliteration, but I couldn't come up with one. We could have called it uh, completion, I guess, but future promise. And notice, the trajectory of history is moving in this direction. There we go. So rest in future promise, meaning God put rest into creation. And God, with his people, delivers them out of slavery. And he's still delivering people out of bondage of sin today. And the, the land became a symbol of his rest, but it wasn't permanent because even when they entered the promised land, they still disobeyed. They still struggled. There's still restlessness, right? And even for those of us who have see, one of the things we have to do in the Bible is you have to locate yourself in the story. You ever go to the, uh, nobody goes to malls anymore. But when I was a kid, people went to malls and the arcade and stuff, you know. And then you would go to the, there's a big mall. You had little maps. Remember those that were on the and you find out the little sign that says you are here. So let me tell you where you are in the story. You are here. That's where you are. We're in this part of the story. But it's not over yet because even those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ and know the forgiveness of his grace that, he, that we're set free and we don't have to earn his favor and we're accepted because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of his resurrection we know that there's a future hope. So one of the things an old friend of mine used to say is that the gospel tells me three things. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I love that. My past is redeemed. I'm not stuck in the past with shame and guilt. My present makes sense. There's a reason for me being here, and it's Christ. And my future is secure because he holds it. And that's, so even even for those of us that believe that, there's still a restlessness because, while I know that I'm free and forgiven. I look out at the world, and there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of people that are lost. And there's still something to come, this story tells us. Rest in a future promise. Let's go back to the text for a minute. We'll see verses 9 and 10. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There still remains a Sabbath rest. There's something still to come. Well, what is that something? It is the God's final restoration of all things. Remember what Sabbath is about. It's not just about stop doing stuff. It's not just a day off. Sabbath is about restoration, making, putting broken things back together, uh, restoring spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and ultimately, eventually, physically, materially. When Christ returns, when the Lord of the Sabbath returns, he will restore all things. Remember the story of the healing of the man with the withered hand last week, if you listened to that sermon? In, in the synagogue, what does he say? Stretch out your hand. The man does, and immediately his hand is what? Restored, the text tells us. The heart of Sabbath. There is a future restoration coming in which we'll all rest. Revelation speaks about this. Revelation chapter 22 Verses one through five. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and it will reign forever and ever. I love the phrase, the, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The tree of life. Remember that goes all the way back to the beginning of the story. How our nations, our nation, and the nations need the healing that only God can bring. And don't miss the fact that that's not a political solution. There's no party or ideology or platform or legislation that it will ever bring about the healing of this nation. It can make it, relatively speaking, better and worse in other nations. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. But ultimately speaking, what we long for, that last circle, future promise, is not going to come about by anything that human institutions can do. Only the Lord of the Sabbath can do it. That's the rest that we ultimately long for. That's the rest that is to come. So this, the author in this seemingly complex passage is telling us a very beautiful story. God put rest and our need for rest in the very fabric of creation. We're made for it. And the story of God's people from the very first time he called them, the Israelites, was about following him out of bondage into a place of rest. And that's still true, spiritually speaking. As God's children, as people of God who belong to him through Christ, through faith in Jesus, we are following him out of bondage to sin and death into freedom and rest. And that ultimately will be brought about perfectly when the Lord of the Sabbath returns. So when you find yourself restless, when you find yourself looking at the social media, which maybe you should do less, I'm, I'm trying to do less of that, or cable news or whatever, and you just feel full of angst, part of what's happening there is this. You long for something that you can't find through any human institution. Let it be a reminder to you, Lord Jesus, only you can do that. Let it be a prompt to pray and to seek him. Sabbath rest. Let's go back here because this is important. I think when we think of Sabbath rest, typically we think about looking back to the Old Testament law, right? Let's look back at that law. How does it make sense today? Sabbath rest does not just point us backward. It points us forward. This is really important. Sabbath rest fundamentally because of Jesus is not just about what do I do about this law. It's a liberating and hope-filled pointing us forward to what Christ will do. It's a way of telling us our story reminding us of who we belong to, that we're forgiven and free. So (laughs) I need this rest. I need to rest in this promise. So how do we enter into it? First, what are the barriers entering into his rest? Again, Hebrews is full of helpful uh, images from Israel's past. Uh, Verse 19 of chapter 3. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. That's going to be a theme. This is the primary barrier unbelief. For good news, there it is, the gospel came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith, meaning they, had, they did not believe. The first barrier to entering God's rest is belief. Now you might be thinking, well, yeah, yeah, I believe that God exists. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. Good. Good. But we drift from this, don't we? I do. I drift, I, lo- I, I lose not intellectual belief, but existential spiritual trust that he's really in control. I drift from this. Good news has come to you and to me. Good news has come to you. Believe. Believe it. In Acts chapter 16, uh, when the people hear the gospel preached to them, they say, what must we do to be saved? And the response is, believe. Repent and believe the good news. And that's not something you do once upon a time. It's something you do as a follower of Jesus every day. I don't mean you're re-saved every day. I mean we return to faith in Christ moment by moment every day. Believe that he is on the throne. In fact, I, I, I've had a lot of conversations recently with people who are getting twisted up into, um, what, quite frankly, conspiracy theories and um, partial truths and rabbit holes of uh, fear and anxiety on both sides of the political spectrum. And these are people that profess faith in Christ. And one of the things I want to say to them is what we're being told right here. Good news has been preached to you. That's not good news. And that's not good news. He is. He's good news. Return to faith in him. The second thing, verse 11, Hebrews 4.11 tells us, well, we talk about what we must do to enter that rest. Specifically, what do you do? What is it, just believe, how do you do that? Do you just conjure up belief? The first thing we we'll 're see in verse 11 is this. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Now that sounds like a uh, contradiction in terms, doesn't it? How, striving and resting don't seem to go together very well, do they? Like, how do you strive to rest? It, didn't we learn last week that part of resting in Christ is to cease trying to prove yourself, to cease working hard? It would be an oxymoron if we were talking about striving to earn his favor. That's not what it's talking about. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12-13, through 13, the Apostle Paul says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work it out, and God works in you. Well, which is it, Paul? Well, both. Notice he does not say work for your salvation. He says work it out, meaning The salvation of Jesus Christ in your life and mine is not just intellectual belief, like a get-out-of-hell free card you put in your pocket and you hold on until you get to heaven. You pull it out and go, I get in, right? It's not like a free pass at the amusement park. That's not how it works. It is something that's to penetrate your whole life. It should change how you think, how you see other people, how you operate in the world, how you conduct yourself, how you love your family, how you lead your business. Work it out into every aspect of who you are, your salvation. It's already been accomplished for you. You are saved by grace, through faith. But now you have a part to play in living that out fully. And when it relates to rest, striving to rest. Uh, Andrew, Pastor Andrew Griffiths gave a good analogy to me. Uh, so I, I got this from him. But he said, anybody ever been rock climbing in here? Anybody ever been rappelling? Show of hands. Yeah, okay, I'm speaking to you four. <laughs> but some of you will get this by analogy. You've seen it, right? When you're rappelling and you're hooked into that harness and you're on that rope, the guide will always tell you what? Lean back. Lean all the way back. You don't want to. Why? Because it feels dangerous, like it, I'm, I'm not in control. But the more you lean toward the rock face, the more you scrape your knees and your elbows, and it's not working. you got to trust that harness and that carabiner and that knot and lean all the way back. And then it, then it works, but it's, it's a little scary. There's a sense in which that's what, when, when the writer of Hebrews says, strive to enter that rest, he's saying lean back. Trust Christ Fully. Put your full weight into him. Stop trying to to hedge and lean forward. It's only going to be painful. Lean all the way back. That's the striving. It's a striving to surrender fully. It's a striving to trust completely. It's a striving to believe more wholly. That's what he's telling us. The the first thing we can do is strive. The next thing in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 13, excuse me, Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 13, we're told take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. There it is again, unbelief, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Is it still called today? Is today still today? Is it today? When is it called today? Today? Now? Now, 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 right? Like, isn't that a great phrase? As long as it's called today. Well, when is that? Like as, as long as you're breathing and in the day, it's called today. Today is today. Every day, encourage each other. I love these two phrases. Take care. What does this mean? It means be, be careful. Examine your life. Where am I off track? Where, am I, where have I stopped trusting? Where have I stopped believing? Where am I sliding into unbelief? Or placing my belief in other systems or other things. Where am I questioning God? Where am I beginning to doubt his goodness? Take care. Watch yourself and encourage each other. We need this now more than ever. I can't tell you how important encouraging words are. I'm, I consider myself a fairly upbeat person. I'm pretty hard to discourage usually. It's how God made me. I'm grateful for that. But I've been more discouraged at times in this season than ever before in ministry. I'm not telling you that so you all send me nice cards. Well, that'd be fine, right, but, But I'm just saying I recognize my need, and you do too, don't you? And we don't do it. Why? Because we're we're myopic. We're in our own little bubble. We're worried about ourselves. But also sometimes I think we don't encourage because we presume, well, who am I to say anything to them? Well, they don't need to hear from me. Well, I don't. We need each other. It's, It's a spiritual responsibility. We're told take care, examine your life, and to exhort is to urge on, encourage remind, I, this, I'm exhorting you this week, pick five people, send them a text, send them an email, write them an actual pen and ink card, remind them of who Jesus is and how much he loves them and that he's still in control. I got a letter on my desk, I walked in the other day, and It was sitting there and I opened it up and it was from somebody in our church. And it wasn't, you know, it, it was just, it was basically a letter of reminder of the gospel to me, the pastor, I so needed that. So grateful for that. You have a responsibility to do that, not just for me, for each other. Don't stop doing it. So three things. Strive to trust fully. Take care, watch your life carefully, and exhort each other. Encourage each other. The people God leads you to encourage might live on the other side of the country, or the planet for that matter. To continue to believe the gospel and to trust God. You see, if the barrier to entering his rest is unbelief, then we must strive, we must take care, we must encourage each other to believe and to trust. Last, as we wrap up and move to a time of celebrating communion, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, the promise still stands. I love that line. It's still there. The promise is still standing for you and for me. It hasn't gone away. It's still available. It's still open. For those of you that think I've screwed up so many times, I know what you say, Pastor Jeff, but maybe maybe there's a moratorium. Maybe there's a limit for me. The promise of entering his rest still stands. For those who, who are just, you're weighed down with the past. You're carrying burdens of the past. Things you've done, things done to you shame you can't seem to get free from, the promise of entering his rest still stands. For those of you that are full of anxiety and worry about the future, you look at the news and the economy, or is the vaccine going to work and there's another strain and when are we going to reopen, and you're just always full of fear and anxiety about the future, the promise of entering his rest still stands. For those of you that maybe feel invisible, nobody sees, nobody cares what you're dealing with. The promise of His rest still stands for you. For those who are overwhelmed with doubts and things and questions, the promise of His rest still stands. For those of you, maybe you're just exhausted with trying to measure up and to keep it all together and to prove yourself. The promise of His rest still stands for you. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, the promise is still there. It's an open invitation to entering His rest. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He invites you into his story to set you free from the bondage of the past, of shame, of guilt, of fear of the future, and that you can rest not just in him now, but for all eternity. And really, when we come to communion, hopefully you all have your communion elements. If not, you can put your hand up and the ushers will bring them to you. But this is a symbol of the rest of God the bread and the cup are tangible symbols that as we eat and we drink together, we tell ourselves again the story of who we belong to and what he has done. It's a way of entering into his rest to remind ourselves this is still available. His rest still stands. So it doesn't matter to us if you're a member of Chapel Street Church here for the first time. What matters is that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins. If that's true of you, then you are welcome to observe communion with us. Let me pray and we'll take the elements together. Father God, we thank you for the way that you have blessed our lives and poured out your grace on us. We thank you for what you have accomplished at the cross, set us free, forgiven us. And we ask you again, Lord, to forgive us for for trying to do it on our own. Teach us again by your Spirit to enter into your rest. You've given us what we don't deserve, forgiveness of sin, what we could never earn, a hope of a secure future. And now as we come to your table, symbolically, remind us again of the depth of your love through the depth of your sacrifice for us. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's take the bread together. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Eat this in remembrance of him. And Jesus poured out a cup to his disciples and said, This is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this and remember him.